So a Sunday school teacher serving in a small country church uh, was struggling to open up the combination lock for the supply cabinet in her classroom. Um, She'd been told the combination, but she just couldn't quite remember the combination. She couldn't remember all the numbers. So finally, she just decided to ask one of the elders in the church to come in and give her a hand. So an elder came in the room and he began to turn the dial. Now, after the first two numbers, he paused and he stared blankly at the lock. Finally, he calmly looked heavenward and she noticed that his lips were moving, but there was no sound coming out. And then after a few moments, he looked back down, uh, began to turn the lock again, and he found the final number and opened the lock. So the teacher was amazed. Uh, She thought the elder was praying and that somehow God told him the last number to the combination. I'm in awe of your faith, she said. It's really nothing, he answered. The numbers are all taped on the ceiling. (laughs) I'm going to assume that you're laughing at that this morning. I thought it'd be appropriate to start with kind of a cheesy preacher joke today as we start a new series, and you might have guessed it. Today we're starting a series on the topic of prayer, and the title of this series is called Pray First. You know, there's so much that could be said on the topic of prayer. In fact, uh, this week I typed in the word prayer into amazon.com, into the search engine, and over a hundred thousand results showed up. I say that to say there's a lot of resources out there on the topic of prayer, and I'm certain that this will not be the last time that I go through a series on the topic of prayer. Well, my goal for this series really is in the name, uh, Pray First. If you're anything like me, uh, prayer often gets pushed to the back of the line in terms of importance. So if you were public schooled like I was, I think you'll understand this illustration. I think prayer is often treated Uh, like getting a plate of food uh, from the lunch lady in elementary school. All right, you go through the line and you're given uh, uh, some mystery meat. You know, you don't quite know what it is. Uh, You get a a vegetable, a fruit, maybe a cookie. And then at some point uh, while you're in the line, they they plop down this this nasty looking mushy stuff. You you don't quite know what it is. And you decide in your mind before you even get through the line that you're going to save it for last. Uh, really in hopes that you're already full by the time you get to that piece of food. In other words, I think we often view prayer as a last resort. So for this series, I want to preach on the topic of prayer in a way that reminds all of us uh, how important and how life-changing prayer is meant to be in our lives. I want to talk about some of the foundational truths about prayer, truths that will help you have a more effective and sincere and consistent prayer life. You know, I believe that God doesn't want us to just pray more, right? That's not really the goal of this series, and I don't think that's what we see in God's word. Instead, I believe he wants us to develop what we're gonna call a prayer life, where prayer isn't a last resort, but it's our first line of defense. It's our first option at all times. So throughout this series, we're gonna talk about what prayer is and what it isn't. We're also going to look at a pattern or a model of prayer that Jesus shared with some of the early disciples. Uh, Not to repeat the words uh, word for word, but really to see the heart behind the prayer. And then we're going to take some time to look at some of the specific prayers that faithful men have prayed throughout God's word. Now, I want to be honest with you up front and just share that even as your pastor, um, I really struggle with prayer. In fact, I'm in a season right now where I've recognized that God wants me to learn more about prayer. 
I believe that he's convicting me to be more consistent and more sincere in my own prayer life. So knowing that we're all going to be growing together throughout this series, I want to kick things off by sharing just a few observations uh, that others have shared with me about prayer. And then we're going to talk about a few truths today about what prayer is not. So I've entitled this first message, uh, Prayer, What It Isn't and What It Is. Now, the first observation, if you're taking notes this morning, first observation about prayer is this. Um, everyone prays. Everyone prays. Now, I know what you're thinking. Craig, this is the most life-changing observation that I have ever heard. <laughs> you know, this is a very simple truth, but, but it's true. It doesn't matter where you go throughout the world, what continent you're on, what, what country uh, that you're in, you're going to find people who pray. And I think there's a reason for this. You know, I believe that God has put a need and a desire in our hearts to pray and to connect with him in this way. You could say this, that we're all wired to pray, just like I believe we're all wired to worship. A second observation about prayer this morning is this. You know, I believe that everyone struggles with prayer. So everyone prays and everyone struggles with prayer. At least for me, everyone that I know struggles with prayer. Every pastor that I know, every family member, all of my friends who are believers, they struggle with prayer. In fact, I've never met someone who would say, you know, Craig, I've really got this prayer thing down. I've mastered this. I think we struggle with prayer in a number of ways. We struggle with feeling like we have to say the right words, that we have to have the right words to say. You know, God, am I, am I praying what you want me to pray? Am I praying your will? Should I say this or should I say that? I think we also struggle praying when others are around. I know many of you are plugged into a small group and you know, oftentimes we're called on in these groups to, to pray and I think that can feel a little daunting at, at times. You know, when you gather with your family for, for Christmas or Thanksgiving or uh, in the summer for 4th of July, you know, and the whole family's there and then you get called on to pray. Now, I don't know what the deal is with this, but every time I get together with my family, I think they just automatically assume that I'm going to be the one praying. Maybe it's because I'm a pastor, but I'm like, guys, if, if you're a Christian, you can pray. It doesn't have to always be me. You know, I feel like I'm off duty during those times. We also struggle praying, uh, I think, because we, we don't feel confident in prayer. Sometimes we just don't feel confident in prayer. Maybe, maybe you don't feel worthy asking God for a sp specific request. You know, something that's going on in your life. Or you don't know if he's going to even hear or answer your prayers. Now, there's all kinds of ways that we struggle with prayer. And, and I'll be honest with you. For me, right now, in this season, I really struggle having uh, a consistent prayer life. A sincere prayer life. So we're going to talk about some of these struggles throughout this series. And we're going to go to God's word uh, for our hope and encouragement and our joy. So we're going to be in a few different places this morning in the New Testament. We're going to be in Luke chapter 11, uh, specifically verse 1. And then the bulk of our time is going to be spent in Matthew chapter 6. So if you want, you can go ahead and turn to Matthew 6. Uh, at this time, I'm going to read Luke 11 verse 1 for you. You can follow along on the screen as well. Once Jesus was in a certain place praying, as he finished, one of his disciples came to him and said, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. I'm always blown away by this verse and then what follows, which we know is the Lord's Prayer. You know, of all the things the disciples could have asked Jesus to teach them, of all the things, they asked Jesus to teach them how to pray. 
You know, they could have asked to, to learn how to walk on water or to raise people from the dead or turn water into wine. But of all the things, everything was on the table. They could have asked anything of all the things. They asked Jesus to teach him how to pray. I'm going to be honest, you know, if it were me with spring coming up, I think I would have asked Jesus to teach me how to get rid of all my uh, annual spring allergies that, that pop up this time of year. And if you couldn't do that, what about multiplying food? I mean, we saw Jesus uh, multiply loaves and fish. Certainly he could have taught him how to do that. You know, I think I'd be the hit at your backyard barbecue if I could do that. Well, the Bible doesn't tell us why the disciples asked this particular question. But could it be that they were able to witness, you know, have a front row seat to the power behind Jesus raising people from the dead, the power behind his authority and teaching, the power behind the way he lived his life and the various miracles that he performed. And they recognized that prayer, that constant, sincere communication with God the Father was always behind everything that Jesus did. Prayer was behind everything. Could it be they recognize Jesus' prayer life and realize the power of prayer? And could it also be that God wants us to successfully live the life that he's created us to live? And that happens through developing a Christ-like prayer life. You know, I believe that every person watching this morning would say, Lord, I want you to use my life to make a difference. I want you to use my life in a big way. I want it to be meaningful and impactful in the lives of others. If you're a believer, maybe you would say, God, I want to be used by you to be a kingdom worker, to be a more effective and loving husband, wife, father, mother, and friend. I believe these things happen as we develop the kind of prayer life that God wants us to have. Well, a third observation about prayer, if you're taking notes, that is our frustrations with prayer are often caused by our misconceptions about prayer. Our frustrations with prayer, and I think we have a lot of them, often come by our misconceptions about prayer. You know, I know for me, some of my personal frustrations with prayer over the seasons and years have often been caused by misconceptions that I've had about what prayer is and what it isn't. I said earlier, there's a lot of great information out there on prayer. You know, you go to Google or Amazon, you type in prayer, you're going to get hundreds of thousands of results. But that doesn't mean that there's 100,000 uh, results that are all sound, you know, biblically sound and, and helpful resources. There's a lot of resources that will ultimately lead you away from, from God and his word. I think uh, today there's a lot of TV preachers that would fall into this category. You could turn on your TV this morning. You know, you're watching on the computer right now, but you could turn on your TV this morning and probably find half a dozen men and women who claim to be teaching in the name of Jesus, but what you're hearing doesn't align with God's word. It doesn't promote Jesus at all. And if the topic of prayer comes up, whether it's through watching something on your TV, being in a small group, or reading a book, and, and you realize that that information just isn't sound, that it just isn't right, I think that can lead to some frustration in our lives because we develop misconceptions about prayer. Well, this morning, I want to go a little deeper with some of the misconceptions that we tend to have about prayer. Now, for us to understand what prayer is, really what God's intention for prayer is and has always been, we have to first understand what prayer is not. So this is really going to be the main focus and the main part of the message this morning as we talk about what prayer isn't and then what prayer is. So let's first talk about what prayer is not. If you're taking notes... 
Uh, the first misconception here for what prayer is not is this. Prayer is not a magic wand. Now, I just so happen to have a wand with me this morning. <laughs> you know, I'm going to be honest. I never thought that I would use a wand as a sermon illustration ever, <laughs> but it's happening this morning. So this happens to be my son's wand, and we got it at Great Wolf Lodge uh, in the Twin Cities. We've actually been to Great Wolf uh, four or five times, you know, in different parts of the country. We love going there as a family. But when you go to Great Wolf, they have a game called Magi Quest. And this game is a blast. The boys love to play it. I love to play it. So what's the purpose of this wand? <laughs> what does it have to do with prayer? What does it have to do with this game? Well, the game Magi Quest, it's an adventure style game where kids and adults, they're able to uh, start in one location in the building. And then you go on this, this kind of quest or adventure. And you advance through the game until ultimately you get to the end and you get to fight this dragon. And this computer animated dragon pops up on this screen and you use your wand and you can defeat it. It's pretty cool. But throughout the game, you actually have to wave your wand. So you stand back, you, you wave your wand, you flick it at different things like uh, chests that are full of treasure. Uh, you're confronted by different creatures throughout the game and you have to fight them off. And you... you Complete all these tasks, again, ultimately getting you through the game. So what does this wand have to do with prayer? I think in all the different fantasy movies that we watch, the games that we play, you're going to find people who have wands. And if they use their wand in just the right way, uh, all of their circumstances change to whatever they want. Friends, I mean, wouldn't this be great if, if life was this way? So they, they wave their wand and their circumstances they just change. And, you know, sometimes I think we get discouraged about prayer because we're asking God for a specific request. We're asking him to heal a family member, to change a friend, or to bring about a different circumstance in our life. Maybe it's job-related, friend-related. Sometimes I think we treat prayer like a magic wand. And then when nothing happens, when our circumstances don't change, we question whether God has even heard our prayer or if he wants to hear and, and answer our prayer. We question whether God loves us. Sometimes we, we treat prayer like a magic wand, but friends, prayer is not meant to be a magic wand. Uh, the second truth of what prayer is not, if you're taking notes, is this. Uh, prayer is not a fire extinguisher. Prayer is not a fire extinguisher. Now, you guessed it. I actually have a fire extinguisher here with me this morning. Now, I'm going to be honest. These little things are a lot heavier than they appear. I was going to grab the fire extinguisher out of the uh, the daycare earlier this week. I think Amy might have been a little upset with me if I did that, but these things are a lot heavier than they appear. So you'll find a fire extinguisher in just about any building that you go to, especially if it's a commercial building. And anywhere there's a fire extinguisher, you'll see it behind uh, maybe a pane of glass. And on that glass, you'll read these words, uh, break in case of emergency. Now, I think we all hope that we never have to do that. I don't know about you, but I don't want to punch glass with my hand. I just don't think that would work out very well. So if there's a fire, I think what you have to do is you break the glass. Maybe it's a door that opens, but you break the glass, and then you proceed to try to put the fire out. You use the fire extinguisher. And, and friends, I think this is how we often view prayer in our own lives. Maybe, maybe you don't pray very often, or, or maybe you do. But if you don't, maybe you pray you know, before meals or when you come to church, and then a crisis happens in your life. A crisis happens. You don't know what to do, so you start praying. And what happens is we break the glass. We pull out the fire extinguisher, which in this case represents prayer. And then we start spraying prayer 
everywhere. In fact, you, when it's a time of crisis or someone's going through a difficult season, you see this all over social media. People throw in prayer left and right. When there's a crisis, everyone resorts to prayer. Now, I want you to hear this because I'm not saying that we shouldn't pray in a time of need, in a time of crisis. In fact, the opposite is true. God tells us that we can pray about anything. He's our refuge in times of need. God wants us to pray and rely on him, especially when times are difficult. What I'm saying is this. You know, church, let's not allow prayer to, to just be a fire extinguisher. That's really not what it was meant to be. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. You know, when a crisis comes, when there's a fire and we go and we break the glass and we grab the fire extinguisher and we put it out, that's really not the, the purpose of, of this gift of prayer that God has given us. Prayer shouldn't be our last resort. It's often said it should be our first choice. You know, when you focus on developing a prayer life, instead of just praying more, you're going to start to pray before the storms of life even happen. That's part of what developing a prayer life means. A prayer life means that, you know, we, we do pray about everything. You know, maybe you've been offered a new job this season, especially with everything going on. I would encourage you, if, if you're a follower of Jesus, spend time praying about that. We should pray about everything. If your family's deciding to make a big purchase here in the next few weeks, maybe month or into the summer, pray about how God would have you spend the resources that he's given you. Remember, we're supposed to be stewards of the things that God has given us, our money, our houses, all the material things that we see. We're just stewards right now. Pray about the church. Pray about family and relationships. Friends, we can pray about anything. But again, prayer was never meant to be just a, a fire extinguisher. We can and should pray about everything. So the third thing that I would have you write down this morning, if you're taking notes, is that prayer is not a bargaining tool. Prayer is not a bargaining tool. Now, I brought my wallet with me this morning. My wallet's kind of small, and I don't know if you can see, um, but there's no money <laughs> in my wallet. All right, this is, this is what happens when you're raising four boys um, they, they drain your wallet. That's just the facts of life. Now, for some reason, my boys actually love to hold my wallet. They love to play with my wallet. Maybe your kids are the same way or your grandkids. And I think they think that it's, it's magic or something. And here's what I mean by that. You know, they recognize my wallet and more specifically, the money that goes into my wallet as a bargaining tool. Right? They, they recognize it as a, as a bargaining tool. They understand that when we go to a store... And we know we're going to buy something ahead of time at that particular store, that there has to be an exchange. All right, so we pick out what we want, we go to the end of the, the, the line, uh, they check us out. Uh, for us to be able to take that home, we have to give them money, and then they give us whatever it is that, that we want to buy. It's a bargaining tool. I give you this, and you give me that. You know, sometimes that's what prayer can become if we're not careful. It can become a bargaining tool, but it was never meant to be that. So here's what I mean. Maybe you've said something like this. You know, God, if you would uh, just help me get this job, then I would start to go to church every Sunday and I would start to give faithfully. You know, or maybe you would say, God, if you would just get me out of this pickle. You know, I've made a mistake. If you just get me out of this, then I would serve you with the rest of my life. I think a lot of times we do that. God, if you would just do this, then I'll do that. Well, friends, prayer is not a bargaining tool. In fact, we don't have to bargain with God. Listen to the words of Jesus in Matthew 7, verse 11. He says, So if you sinful people know how to give good gifts to your children, 
how much more will your heavenly father give good gifts to those who simply ask him? See, Jesus is showing us the heart of God the Father in this verse. We know through God's word that God is not selfish. He's not begrudging or stingy. And we don't have to beg or bargain with him when we come to him with our requests. Our God is a loving father who understands, cares for, and comforts his children. The Bible says if we know how to give good gifts to our own kids, you know, I, I love giving good gifts to my kids, but as sinful as we are, if we know how to do that, how much more will our Heavenly Father give good gifts to those who are His children? Prayer is not a bargaining tool. You know, we don't have to bargain with God. We don't have to strike a deal with God. Well, the fourth and final truth this morning for what prayer is not is this. Prayer is not a religious ritual. Prayer is not a religious ritual. What do I mean by that? Well, I think a religious ritual can be positive or negative. It can be helpful or hurtful. And it's usually a symbol that has a spiritual meaning. But that's not what prayer is. You know, sometimes we see religious rituals in and through the life of the church. And again, sometimes those things can be helpful. Sometimes they're hurtful too. But that's not what prayer is. Prayer is not just a religious duty where you repeat the same words over and over again in a specific way every time that you pray. See, when we do that, prayer can start to lose its meaning. It can start to lose its purpose. Jesus actually addresses this in Matthew chapter 6 before he shares what's known as the Lord's Prayer. And we're going to look at the Lord's Prayer over the next two weeks. This is a wonderful model and pattern for prayer that helps us understand God's heart. But this is what he says before we get to the Lord's Prayer. It says, when you pray, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. He's saying, don't be like the hypocrites who do this. I tell you the truth, that is all the reward they will ever get. But when you pray, go away by yourself, shut the door behind you and pray to your father in private. Then your father who sees everything will reward you. And then he goes on to say, when you pray, don't babble on and on like the Gentiles do. They think their prayers are answered merely by repeating their words again and again. He's saying, don't be like the Gentiles. Don't just repeat words and think that that's what it's going to take for God to answer your prayers. Don't be like them, for your Father knows exactly what you need before you even ask. You know, praying publicly so that others would see you trying to have all the right words, or repeating the same things over and over again, that doesn't change the effectiveness of our prayers. Sure, we should be persistent in prayer. God tells us that in his word. We should be persistent. We should seek God with all of our heart, all of our mind, soul, and strength. But the words we say, how we repeat things, even how often we pray, that doesn't change the heart of God. You know, we can't talk God into doing things based on how we pray. Prayer is not a religious ritual. So a quick recap for the message today. Prayer is not a magic wand. You know, we don't have to wave it around just so our circumstances change uh, to whatever we want them to be. I think a lot of times we, we treat prayer that way, but that's not what it is. It's not a magic wand. Two, prayer is not a fire extinguisher. You know, it's not there just in case of emergency. You know, uh, uh, prayer is not hidden behind a glass box that says break in case of emergency. Can we pray about emergencies? Absolutely, and we should. We can pray about everything, but that's not just what prayer is for. Also, prayer is not a bargaining tool. 
You know, God doesn't want us to try and bargain with him about things. You know, God, if you'll do this, then, then I'll do that. That's not the purpose of prayer. He's a loving father who loves to give good gifts to his children. And finally, prayer is not a religious ritual. And you know, we can't talk God into doing something by having the right words or even praying the right kind of prayer. I mean, sure, we have examples of prayer in Scripture, and we're going to look at those really to get to the heart behind the prayer. And we have examples of, of a pattern of prayer that Jesus gave the disciples, and we're going to go deeper with that. But I think at the end of the day, I truly believe that God wants us to develop a prayer life uh, more than just praying more. Developing a prayer life. He, he doesn't want us to just pray more. You know, developing a prayer life means that we learn to talk and listen to God like he's our best friend. It's been said that the most practical way that we can have a relationship with God is, is through prayer. A genuine, sincere communication with our Heavenly Father. So the first part of Matthew 6, what we read today, it leads right into uh, what's known as the Lord's Prayer a model or a pattern of prayer that Jesus shared with these early disciples. Again, it's not meant to be repeated word for word. Instead, it shows us how we're meant to partner with God in prayer. So over the next two weeks, we're going to go a little deeper with the Lord's Prayer uh, in Matthew's Gospel. 